0: Today, um, we were, last week we actually ended our series, our sermon series on roots, where we studied Genesis together for a few weeks, studying the first 11, 12 chapters of Genesis. And so, actually today, uh, our head pastor, Stephen, and his whole family, they're going to be on vacation. And so, as we transition to our next sermon series in a couple weeks, we usually have a couple open topics that Woodley and I are going to take. So, I had this, the sermon today, and I could basically choose the topic and so I was just thinking about, as, as one of the pastors here, I mean, I can take a while, whatever I want, right, you know, in sense that, well, not anything, right? of course, but um, as a pastor, I don't want to just pick things that I like or things that, are, that I know, but I was trying to think, what is a topic that could really um, bless us as New Yorkers here, as people living in Brooklyn, trying to live life? And I felt like something that we can talk about today is this idea of rest, um, as I was talking to the pastors about different topics, we felt like um, New York City as a culture is just very fast paced. Whenever people come to visit and stuff like that, or they come to visit Mosaic, they feel like, wow, like the city is so fast paced, it's so big, it's so dense, there's so many different things. And I feel like New York City, maybe, I would argue, is maybe one of the fastest, the densest cities in America. And so I don't know what you guys are doing with today. Maybe you are dealing with a very busy schedule. Maybe it's pretty okay right now in August. Um, But I feel like we have to really, I really want to understand, what is this idea of rest, and what does the Bible have to say about it? Because we are fighting this culture of of work and of efficiency and filling things up. It feels like we always got to do stuff and do stuff um, in order to be in the city. Um, (laughs) I don't know about you, but sometimes when I ask, like, Uh, The question like, how are you? People don't usually say, good. They say, I'm tired, right? (laughs) That's like the the classic New York way to to answer the how are you question. And so what's going on here? Why is everyone so tired? What's going on? And so today I want to do a study on the text of Leviticus 25. I don't know if we have the PowerPoint up. um, But we're going to be studying the text of Leviticus 25 and the text of the, the year of Jubilee. And we'll be looking at different stuff. Um, and I really feel like, as a church, we have all these sermons about doing things, going things, you know, b- improving your behavior here, you know, doing this thing, going, going out there, right? But We don't have a lot of topics about how to rest properly, right? And as we're thinking about it, I want you guys to also think about, how do you guys rest? How do you guys define rest, and what do you guys usually do? And I think, what, what does the Bible even have to say about rest, right? Do we allow the Bible, do we allow God's Word to help us to understand how can we have a really recharged refilling rest. And so in order to study this, I picked this text of the year of Jubilee. Uh, just before we go on, before we start I want to explain the context a little bit to um, you know where are we going from? What is Leviticus, all this kind of stuff. So just a brief kind of context. When we ended the sermon series last week on, uh, um, on Genesis, we were kind of seeing how God was picking Abraham to start his journey, his mission, to bring all nations back together. But for God basically said that he would use Abraham to be able to grow into a nation and then to bless other people. So we're actually a few, we're like pretty far into it right now. Um, God has already grown Abraham's descendants to become the nation of Israel. Um, So God has already taken the, uh, the people out from captivity, from slavery, and when they were uh, struggling in Egypt, and so they've gone through the journey, and now they're at the land that God promised Abraham's descendants. And so they're here in the land, and now they're trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do here? And so God is speaking through Moses. God is speaking to the Israelites about this is the law. This is what I desire for you guys to live a harmonious, good life and to be the nation that really uh, exemplifies to the rest of the world what it means to be in a relationship with God. And so Leviticus is a book a lot about the laws and the the rules that God has. Um, And so we're going to be studying Leviticus 25 um, about when it talks about the year of Jubilee. Um, I do also want to make another note. As Christians, I feel like... Many times when we're reading the Bible, we, like, we prefer the New Testament, right? We, it seems like it's more general. It seems like um, it, it's just more uh, uh, relatable in a sense. But the Old Testament, it seems like very culturally dense. Right? There's a lot of culture. There's a lot of things that seem like a little bit distant from us, right? They're talking about offering lambs. They're talking about agriculture and farming. And I don't, you, I don't think anyone of us here are farmers or has pet lambs and stuff like that. You know, I don't know if the last time I saw a lamb, maybe like the Bronx Zoo, right? But uh, so how can we grapple with Old Testament texts just so filled with culture? And so I think there's many ways that pastors and Christian scholars and stuff like that answer that question. Today, I just want to suggest to you that the way that I'm going to try to interpret this text is not trying to transfer the literal rules to our modern day lives. I think some rules maybe are good, like thou shall not murder. I think that's a, I can translate that pretty literally that we shouldn't murder people today. But for this text, I do think there's a lot of culture about the land and stuff like that. So what I'm going to try to do is try to understand what is the principle behind the text? What is the attitude of God? What does God value? And how how is that expressed in the law that we're going to see here today? And so once we understand the principles, the values, the attitude, that kind of stuff, we're going to take that and then try to recontextualize it, reapply it to our lives today. So again, this is not the only right way to read the Old Testament law and stuff like that, but this is one way. So I just want to give you guys a heads up how I'm going to interpret it. Um, so enough talking. Why don't we just get into the text? <laughs> so I also want to apologize. <laughs> the PowerPoint I have, the text is really small. So if you guys have good eyesight, you can read along. But if not, I'm going to read out the text for you guys, and then you guys can follow along there. So we're going to read through the text first, and then we'll go back and try to understand what, is, what the heck is God trying to say here. So Leviticus 25, we'll start with verse 1. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself might observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields, do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of untended vines. Land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your male male and female servants, the hired worker and temporary resident who lives among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. Verse 8, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout the land. Consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you shall return to your family and property and to your own clan. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee, and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. Verse 13, in this year, the year of jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. If you sell any land to any of your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the jubilee. And they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting the crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price. When the years are few, you are to decrease the price, because what is really being sold is the number of crops. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God, I am the Lord your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws, and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and live there in safety. You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. If, however, there is no one to redeem it for them, but later on they prosper and acquire sufficient means to redeem it themselves, they will determine the value for the year since they have sold it and refund the balance to the one whom they have sold it. They can go back to their property, so so that they can go back to their property. But if they they do not require the means to repay it, what was sold will remain in the possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee, it will be tr- returned in the jubilee, and they can go back to their property. Wow, that was a long text, right? I actually cut it in half. <laughs> so, actually, text goes on for like another like fifty. It uh, goes on to like fifty-four verses or something like that, but I spared us today. Um, before we go on, why don't we have a bound prayer together? Father God, I just really pray that um, Your Word would just really apply to our lives. Um, we just want to submit to You, uh, knowing that You are a God that loves us. You're not a God that gave us rules and laws to feel oppressed or feel um, guilty or anything like that. But you gave your words so that we could live the life that you want us to live. Live the life that, that is truly life. Uh, a life that's with you, that's walking beside you. Um, a life that is both work and rest. So I pray that today we'll be able to get something out of this text, God. And I pray that you'll be able to use my mouth on um, the spirit that you put inside me to be able to bless the congregation today. I pray that... Um, and you just really use me, God. I pray that um, we would get something out of this and we would leave change. Encourage and challenge the Lord today. Um, we love you so much, Jesus. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So I'm going to try to go back to the text, uh, back to the very beginning, and try to understand, okay, what is going on here again? What is God trying to communicate? Um, I just do want to note that I just said I did cut the text out. It's not because I don't respect the, the word of God. Um, it's just because, as I said in the beginning, what I'm trying to do with this text is not try to give you guys a mechanical understanding of how the land tenure system worked back in Israel. I don't think that's the best way that, as Christians nowadays, that we can get that. that's the best application. Um, I think that the second half, I'm going to summarize that at the end. But there's a lot of mechanics and rules, um, but they do s- signify something, and I'll get to that later. But to start off, let's go back to the very beginning. Um, In the very beginning, where God talks about the Sabbath year. So, this is not talking about the year of Jubilee yet. God basically says, every seven years, um, let's stop, don't farm anymore, and let the land take a break. And at the very end, too, he says, um, uh, whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be a food for you, for yourself, for your male and female servants, for the workers, and all this kind of stuff, for the livestock and the animals. And for us, I think as we're understanding this, when we think about Sabbath, I don't know if you come from a Christian culture or you're from a church or anything like that. When you hear the Sabbath, you think about the seventh day. You think about creation, all kinds of stuff. Or you think about church. But we don't only really talk about the Sabbath year, right? What's the Sabbath year? You know, and so we, we're understanding here that over here that while God was really uh, trying to help the Israelites grow, that the, the idea of Sabbath is not much bigger than just a day or just church or anything like that. God's idea of Sabbath is very big and holistic. God also cares about the land and wanting the land to have a rest so that the nutrients can come back, so that the land is not over-farmed. And it's 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 a day of rest not just for yourself as individuals, but it's for everyone, right? At the very end, it says the land of rest is for yourself and for your servants and for your workers and for the animals. God wants rest for everyone. The land, you, the workers, your family, everyone. So as we're going to understand what does God think about rest, we're going to start to understand that God's idea of rest is big. It's holistic. in the next section, then it gets to the year of Jubilee. Um, I just want to quickly explain. The year, uh, jubilee is a word that's kind of derived from the Hebrew word for a ram's horn. So in this part, it talks about how the trumpet is sounded, right? So it's kind of getting the idea that the year of Jubilee is a time of celebration where the trumpet is sounded. and Everyone knows that this is the it. After 49 years, we're going to have the year of Jubilee. And what happens here, um, I really want to focus on the fact that after 49 years, uh, I'm going to think the next slide, but I don't know if you guys can read it anyway. Um, God basically says after seven Sabbath years, right, after 49 years, the 50th year is going to be the year of Jubilee. And consecrate, make it holy. And the big point is the fact that no one works, right? Everyone takes a break once again for the full year. Cease work. And not only are we ceasing work, it's the idea of a full reset where everyone gets to go back home. Return to your families, return to your clans. So as time goes on, you might need to commute to work, right? Or for back then, you might have to move somewhere else to work under other people and be a hired servant, right? But during this year, everyone gets to go back home. Everyone gets to go back home and spend time where they were originally were. This idea of a full reset. You know, if we're honest, this sounds really ridiculous, right? Let's just take the fact that God is saying don't plant, don't do any work for a full year. What? Like, I don't, know about, I don't know about you, I don't know what your working background is, but sometimes we feel like we have to work every day nowadays. But to take a rest for a full year? God, are you kidding me? Let's just be real right now. You know, back then, there's no supermarkets. There's no, like, you know, all this kind of stuff. I mean, how are they going to eat? They live in an agricultural society where they depend on the land for food. It's not like they can go to Whole Foods or, you know, a local supermarket and grab food. So, God, how what's going to happen here? But not only that, you're telling people to go back home. But what about money? What if I have debts? What if I have, what if I have a family and I need to pay things in order to take care of my family? God, there's just so many things when it comes to the economy, when it comes to food. How are we going to do this? And so God knows this. God is not a God just... Uh, just, you know, dreams and ideals, God is a very practical God. And so for the rest of the section that we read and more that we didn't read, God gets very practical. Um, We don't necessarily have to go through the text, um, again, just because it's so small. But I just want to note a few things. That first of all, um, God makes sure that people are taken care of is very practical because he sets, uh, he gives rules for the Israelites to basically say, take care of each other. During these years, don't take advantage of each other. I'm not going to go into, again, like the years. They talk about the years and stuff like that, increasing, decreasing. The whole point is that as you're trading land, as you're doing your business and economy, don't take advantage of each other. He says that don't take advantage of each other because I am the Lord your God. At the very end of the passage, you might have seen that they're talking about redemption and all those kind of things. Basically, the idea is that if your neighbor becomes poor or your family member becomes poor, all that kind of stuff, don't just sit there. Do what you can to be able to buy the land from them and help them out so that when they get the money back together again, you can give it back to them. And so what God's trying to say here is that as business goes on and people are trying to do business, take care of each other. Be a community that looks after each other and deals very fairly when it comes to business transactions and dealing with the land. But not just that. God's not just saying, okay, you guys take care of each other. Hands off, I'm just going to hang out and chillax." But God says, as you guys are taking care of each other, I'm also going to take care of you guys, too. One in the section, God talks about the fact that, you know, you um, might remember the section where it says, you may ask, like, what are we going to eat for the seventh year, right? I think that's a very big concern. God gets involved, too, and says, actually, I am going to be so abundant. I'm going to bless you guys so much in the sixth year that you guys are going to be able to eat for three years, that's, like, pretty ridiculous, too, right? God is not giving it enough just for just to cover the seventh year. But God says, I'm even going to give you a little, little bit more. I am a generous God. I'm going to make sure that you guys are taken care of so that you guys can rest. And not just that, too. Um, when it comes to the ideas of debt and all this kind of stuff, can we just look at the, the next slide? I just want to really focus on this last line. Um, oh, sorry, maybe the next one. Okay, this one, yeah. So basically talk about the situation where people get poor and how are we going to do with these kind of things and basically this idea of debt. At the very end, it says, um, okay, if, if they do not require the means to pay and so they can't take care of themselves, what was sold will remain in the possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. So the guy who, who has unfortunate circumstances, maybe his land you know, just doesn't work out, he doesn't get enough crops, he might have to sell that land away, right? And so the buyer holds on to it. But then God says it will be returned in the year of jubilee. Then they can go back to the property. So God's looking out for those who are poor and the unfortunate, all this kind of stuff, saying that if if you if you have been if you had a tough time, you you were, you were forced to sell your land. This land gets to return back to you. So when you get to have that rest, you don't you actually have a place to come back. It's not that like you have no more property anymore, but you get to go back to the property that you used to own. And again, so for this, people might feel bad, like. God, well, I was a good businessman. I was able to get a bunch of land. I was able to acquire my wealth and to get a bunch of things. How can you just take this from me? How can you just take it and give it to people that, you know, maybe they don't deserve it, right? But God, in one of the sections, God says, you guys don't understand. This is my land, right? This is my land. And this is just a gift to you. So whatever you own, whatever you've acquired, if you are the ones who are blessed, you're, you have to give that back trip, please, so that everyone gets a place to stay, everyone gets a place to go back home. And what God is trying to do is to do a massive reset, a massive debt forgiveness. It's a way to check the economy so that if the rich get, if, people, if the wealth gets funneled into the hands of just a few and a lot of people are getting poor, God says we're going to reset everything. So, the, so that the poor will be lifted up and the rich will be pushed down, so that everyone gets back and there's a full reset where everyone gets to have a home to go back to. It's very practical. Um, there's actually a lot of rules I said, but we're not gonna go into it. It's kind of the same ideas how God is just trying to reset and give everyone back um, their land. So let me just take a step back, just trying to summarize what we've seen here. God takes rest very seriously. It's big, it encompasses everything, it's not just you, but everyone, right? The land, the animals, the whole community. The idea of rest is that everyone gets to go back home. There's a full reset. All the debts are forgiven. forgiven. In order to do that, God sets very practical rules involving Himself and the community of how you guys can take how the community can take care of each other so that they can actually accomplish this year of Jubilee. That's what I'm getting out of the text, maybe you guys can disagree, um, but that's what I'm seeing here. But now that we've understood it, um, how do we, as Christians in 2017, and as New Yorkers here, what can, how can we apply those things now to our own lives? I have three points that we can really consider about how can we, as Christians, live and understand um, how can we have a biblical, God-centered idea of rest. And so the first, the first thing I want to suggest to you guys is that in order to have a, a biblical God-centered idea of rest, we need to remember the Lord. Boom. Here we go. Keep God at the center. I just want to go back to the point I said before. Um, during this passage, God makes a lot of ridiculous claims, right? God says, do this, do that, all this kind of stuff. Um, the whole foundation of why God can say that, of why the Israelites can trust God, is because they're remembering God. It's because they know God and they know what they've done for them before. It's the whole idea that this land is not owned by them. They have to remember that this land is just a gift by its own, um, that's owned by God, right? Um, when God says, don't take advantage of each other, there's a text that we didn't read today that says, don't make each other slaves. Don't oppress each other in different ways because, and he says that, remember how the Lord has brought you out of slavery. You don't, what he's trying to say is that the, the nation of Israel. People, don't, don't oppress other people because you were oppressed before too. So remember that in your oppression, God actually delivered you. And so it's this whole idea about how it's dealing with the heart. God's, God knows deep down that, um, you'll find that in the Bible, God talks a lot about the heart and dealing with the heart. Because God knows that if we have the heart right, if we have the heart in the right place and the right focus, then the behavior will follow. We often think that church and religion and all this kind of stuff just improving our behavior, improving our behavior. But well, that's not true. God knows that if our heart is in the right place, if we're remembering him and focusing on him first and foremost, the behavior will follow. If I remember that, oh, yeah, this land is not mine, but it's actually God's, then I'm free to give it back to those who are disenfranchised, those who are poor and struggling. If I remember that, oh, yeah, God set me free from my oppression, from the slavery and from what he's done, And I can actually love those others who are oppressed, and I won't oppress other people. Um, And so as Christians, though, how do we see that in the form of Jesus, right? Because as Christians, we're thinking about Jesus and how he's the centerpiece of our faith. Well, the reason why I actually picked um, the year of Jubilee is because Jesus actually references the year of Jubilee during his ministry. I don't know if you guys know. So... Um, In the very beginning of his ministry, I think I have the text up there um, in a couple slides. Uh, Yeah, Luke 4. Um, There's a story. I'll just kind of summarize it, um, how we get there. So Jesus is starting his ministry. He's going off. um, In the very beginning, he goes to the temple synagogues, and he goes through the scrolls, the scriptures. He goes, okay, he sees Leviticus. He sees Deuteronomy, all this kind of stuff. He finds the the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, Um, and he comes to the section, and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Oh, sorry. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Oh, um, was it cut off? Uh-oh. <laughs> is there another slide? Never mind. I didn't realize I put animation into the PowerPoint. Sorry. <laughs> to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There we go. That's the year of Jubilee. What the heck? Jesus talks about the year of Jubilee. So Jesus, at the very beginning of the ministry, he proclaims that. He basically reads the scroll, and after he's done, he says, this, this prophecy about this person who's going to come and set the people free for, to proclaim the, Lord, the year of the Lord's favor, That's me. Jesus says, I have come here to fulfill that prophecy. I am the one who will set the people free. I am the one. I am the manifestation of the year of the, Jew, uh, of the Lord's favor, the year of jubilee. I am the rest that you guys have been longing for for so long. And there's another passage, I think, in the next slide. God's, it's a famous passage where God, uh, Jesus basically says, come to me all who are weary, all who are struggling, who are tired, exhausted, overworked, all this kind of stuff, and says, I will give you rest. Let's be honest right now, as New Yorkers, we really struggle with just a lot of standards and judgment, right? Um, You go to work and there's these work standards you just have to meet. It feels like your peers and everyone just working so hard, and your boss is just putting standards and work and performance upon yourself. Not only is it judgment on your work; it's judgment amongst your friends. You know the fact that you know: um, am I working enough? Am I am I good enough? Um. I think, uh, you know, uh, social media really amplifies that, right? It feels like, you know, people are on Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and it seems like, wow, people are having fun. People are posting pictures about the the vacations and the things that they're doing and they're getting 100 likes, 200 likes and there's just this pressure that, oh, I have to do that too. I have to also post the pictures. I also have to show that I'm having a good life. That I can get 100 likes, 200 likes. All those kind of things. And maybe you even experiencing pressure and judgment from um, your family, of the standards of what your parents want you to do, of what your aunts and uncles or all this kind of stuff. And maybe you've been experiencing judgment from yourself. You're not meeting the standards that you want to meet. You're just feeling that like you're not good enough and there's guilt and shame and all this kind of things. And it's a heavy load of judgment. It's a heavy weight of just performance and trying to work hard and work hard to trying to appease other people, trying to appease yourself. And it's just so heavy. And again, I don't know what your spiritual background is today, but sometimes it feels like, wow, like, when we look at God, it's like, oh, am I doing good enough for God? Am I working hard enough for God, you know? Am I doing the right things? Am I going to church enough? Am I, am I doing the right ministries and service? Um, is God, does, God still, does God love me based on the sins that I have, all these habits and all these things, that, all the ways that I'm falling short? And I think the, the gospel... Is the fact that Jesus looks at us with all these heavy judgments, all these heavy burdens, and he says, let's try Let me take those burdens off of you and put it upon myself. All the judgments from your manager, all the judgments you have upon yourself, all the judgments from your friends, your family, all the judgments that you have from God, all the sins and all the things that, 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 that separate you from God, that judgment, that pressure and anxiety, Jesus says, let me take that from you. You can give me everything, all your anxieties, and just give it to me. I'll take it. And not only that, I want to give you my love. I want to give you my rest. All these things that shackle you, all the sins and all the anxieties, I want to proclaim you. I want to break those chains so that you can be free. And so what I really want to really communicate to you guys when this idea about rest is that we find our rest when we remember God, when we put our rest in God first and foremost. To know that God loves us, to know that Jesus has taken all that judgment and anxieties upon himself, we need to remember that all the time, right? (laughs) i tell you, this past week, I had a a tense moment with my manager. I work at a dessert restaurant in East Village um, as one of the servers there, and I just got we just had kind of a class where he wanted me to do something and I didn't want to do it. And it's like, oh, it's just so like tense. And I was just really struggling. And that moment of just anger and frustration and and judgment from him, all those kind of things, I had to remember, like, (laughs) I had to just really try to inject Jesus back into my mind saying, wait a second, I got to take a break. I got to stop and remember, you know, God, Jesus loves me. You know, like, even though my manager might not like me right now, even though my manager might be frustrated, I have to remember that that my value is not based on what my manager says, but what my God says, right? How God loves me um, based on Jesus. And because I was able to take that step back and to remember that, uh, I actually went up to my manager later and apologized. I tried to be able to converse with him, all kinds of stuff, with a level head and all those kind of things. And that's just an example of how, um, I mean, that's one good story. I don't have all the good stories. There's other stories where uh, I'm still angry and I kind of blow up and stuff like that. But I just want to really suggest to you that as you're going through this hard life, as you're dealing with maybe frustrations and angers with yourself or your marriage and all that kind of stuff, um, we really need to remember God, right? To allow God to remember that my value is not based on the judgments of others, um, but I can actually find rest in what my God thinks of me, how much he loves me. And that gives us freedom to love other people. Um, so I just want to get very practical right now. That as we're thinking about rest during the week, um, I do have some kind of points for us to think about. How can we remember the Lord um, on a regular basis? How can we remember God in a practical way? So, no, let me do So I had a little fun with this one. I had a lot of animation stuff, so you guys can just, sorry, bear with me. <laughs> so I think for everyone, you like, I think a, a biblical idea of rest is remembering the Lord, right? And so how can we do that? The thing, first point I can say is that it's to set aside a time for God. Maybe you want to set a time for devote like to be able to spend time with God um, in the morning. If you want to do it if you're a morning person or a night person, but right? we want to say that we need to have a time where we can just really pause and take a step back from the world and to just have a time with God. What does that mean though? What does it mean to have a time with God? I do have a few suggestions. I think we can just go through all the points. Um, so partially I can say that to remember God maybe involves a, a habit of reflection and journaling. I don't know if you guys um, have, like, physical journals or diaries, all that kind of stuff. Um, But you can use, like, Google Drive, all these kind of things, Google Docs, in ways to really reflect and think, okay, what has God done for me? How have I seen God this week? Through through work and through my family, all this kind of stuff, to remember what God has done. That's just one suggestion. I think another idea is to really consider how do you connect with God? Because all of us do have kind of these different spiritual languages, these different spiritual personalities that, you know, some of us really feel filled when we're worshiping. But some of us get really bored for worship, right? But some of us, you know, really love to do an exegetical study of the, the Bible, all those kind of things. But that just might not connect. And so I think for, for you guys, it would be good for us to reflect about what, how can we really reflect and connect with God. Maybe that's a time. I do think there's some very core things. I do think we all should pray. We all should read the Bible. I don't think that's a personality thing. But I do think there's other ways that we can connect, connect with God, too. So I put some examples such as videos, books, podcasts. For me personally, I, um, I really feel like there's like sometimes when I read a Christian book that's really good, man, I feel like I really connect and can really think and reflect about God's character and how much he loves me and what he's trying to push me to go forward. So again, this is just some suggestions for you guys to think about, about how when we rest, we can try to incorporate God into our rest time. The second suggestion I have for you guys is to appreciate the life that God gave you. Basically, to be who you are. So, I think uh, what I really want to challenge is this idea of rest, that rest means just to sleep. Or rest means to do nothing. To go home and to be a couch potato um, and just to watch Netflix or TV, all this kind of stuff. So, there we go. I, have a, I just Googled cash potato. I thought it was pretty cute. Sorry, I put it up there. Uh, so, this, like, this definition of rest where it just kind of you're just doing nothing and sleeping or watching TV, I think that's a deficient definition of rest. I'm not saying that's wrong. I actually do think that, that for rest, we do need to kind of chill and do nothing and rest and sleep and stuff like that, right? Um, but I do think it's deficient. It's only half the story. Um, because I think if we're thinking about rest as just doing nothing, um, then I, what I want to say is that I think a better definition of rest is... What refills you? What recharges you? What gives you life again and gives you energy again? And so partially that is physically resting and sleeping, but part of that actually might mean uh, being active, might be exploring and doing something. It's idea of the fact that, if I go back to the year of Jubilee text, right, there's a lot of regulations, all the things that we're talking about, but what was the whole point of that entire thing? What was the whole point of that entire text? It was so that the people could enjoy their life, the fact that people can enjoy rest during that full year, right? So the Bible doesn't really go into what the Israelites need to do. They do kind of talk about how they need to have festivals and sacred assembly and worship God. But that's a full long year where I I don't think the expectation is for them to live in the synagogue for 24-7, right? But it's for them to enjoy their families, to live life, and to really enjoy the land that God has given them. So it's that same idea that when you have rest, it's for you to enjoy the life that God gave you, right? That God did not just create you to just do work, and work, 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 and that's it, or just to do ministry, and that's it, but to be able to live the life and to really explore the passions and the desires that, that God has put in your heart. So some questions that I really, I think that we can reflect on. Um, I We can just go through them all again. We're not going to use that. <laughs> is uh, what activities and sports and hobbies do you love to do how much social action interaction do you like and And the idea is that, you know, for some of us, maybe some of us are more extroverted. We really do enjoy. Some of us people actually get more refilled and more energy when you're with people, when you're going out and spending time. So maybe if you're an extrovert, that your your day of rest or your time of rest is not just to sit at home and do nothing by yourself. If you enjoy spending time with people and you you really feel refilled when you're spending time with people, go out there, set up hangouts, go meet up with people and get a coffee date or anything, anything like that, right? But if you're an introvert, maybe to be able to have boundaries. I and, and I don't think that um, introverts are antisocial, but maybe that uh, if you're an introvert, you enjoy times just one-on-one with people or for a limited time. Understand the boundaries that you have when it comes to social interaction, and just be able to use it to be fulfilling. I also think that because maybe sometimes we're transitioning to the city, because we're busy, we set aside these hobbies, passions, and desires in order to to, to um, you know work or stuff like that. But I think that for some of us, we need to revisit these things that used to be so refilling for us. Maybe it's sports or gyms or maybe it's like a arts and crafts. These things that can be actually very really refilling for you and to really give you life, to live the life and to um, have energy and just feel filled to, live, um, to work for the rest of the week. And so I put that little uh, water cooler there just to kind of get the idea of that um, rest is not just about doing nothing, but it's the idea of refilling. So if there's any activities um, that you can also include into your time of rest that you think will refill you, try it out. But still sleep. That's, I'm not trying to say you don't sleep, though. <laughs> um, last suggestion I want to give to you guys is to make your debts right. Basically to practically prepare. I really love how the fact that God, our God is a practical God. He's not just a guy who just lives in the clouds and all that kind of stuff. God gets very real and has these kind of things where he says to the Israelites, make sure to get practical, help each other out, right? So what I want to say when, we, when, we're, when we're doing with rest is that uh, be practical with your rest too. Make sure to have a plan. Uh, I have a few suggestions um, that if you know, let's say like you plan your day of rest to be Saturday or Friday or Sunday or something like that. I don't know based on, we have all these work schedules, right? But let's say it's Saturday, right? To know, have a plan to say that, okay, on Saturday, I'm gonna get all my work done beforehand. So it's not gonna overfill. So Friday, you get all your work done, you send out all the emails that you do so that you can enjoy your full day of rest on Saturday, right? To have a plan for that. Um, I also think that to have a, a, a good, fulfilling day of rest, is you have to make sure other people are taken care of too, right? So um, it's not, again, the idea of rest is not just saying, oh, I'm just gonna do whatever I want, I'm just gonna throw up my responsibilities. But if you do have emails that you need to send, all that kind of stuff, get it done beforehand. Make sure you get the things done so that you can enjoy the day of rest. Um, Make sure people are taken care of. um, Just as um, you are resting, make sure other people can rest too, right? I think a great example of that, what I see all time and time again, is when uh, Steven and Sonia, when they want to rest and have a, a, a date night, um, they don't just, like, throw off and say, okay, see you later, and leave the kids at home, right? They plan for it, right? They ask, I've seen them ask uh, Lorenzo, Metheny, or Salome, the, hey, can you babysit for us, all that kind of stuff. So in the ways that they know that they're going to have a date or a day of rest later, they make sure that their kids are taken care of. And I think it's a beautiful picture about how Mosaic people have actually helped um, Stephen and Sonia have a day of rest and a date night and all kinds of stuff. And so as we kind of grapple with the idea of rest, how can we also be a church that helps each other out so that other people can have rest, too, make sure everyone's taken care of? Um, and if you're having your day of rest, um, part of it is also just to set boundaries, too, right? So maybe um, if you know that Saturday is your day of rest, you just let people know, I'm turning my phone off no, I'm not going to read any emails. And to make the expectation known that, you know, um, yeah, I'm just going to turn off, I'm going to unplug. And so they know that if they try to email you and text you, you're just resting. Uh, They won't disturb you during that time. I do want to make a huge caveat, because I do think that um, I don't want to really suggest that, I don't want this to make a rule where I must have a 24-hour day of rest. Because I want to be sensitive to the fact that many of us are busy Many of us are struggling economically. we some of us do have to work seven days a week because if we don't, we can't pay rent. Maybe some of us are parents, and the fact that they can't rest because your know, parents can't rest sometimes because they have to take care of their kids. So I'm not trying. <laughs> I see you dating. So what I'm trying to say is not like just to say, ah, oh, throw off your responsibilities, throw out your rent. No, I don't care. But I'm trying to say, just let's try to figure something out about how we can incorporate rest into our lives. Maybe it's not a full 24 hours. Maybe it's just 12 hours. Maybe it's just six hours. But just to try to figure out how can we have a day of rest and how can we maybe grapple with it with our family, with our, with our missional family and our church here so that people can be able to figure that out. So again, I'm not trying to suggest a rule of 24 hours of rest, but just try, try to incorporate somehow into your lives. Um, to conclude, I just want to go over some misconceptions. And then just really see what Jesus has to say, too. Um, so some misconceptions about rest I think that we can uh, struggle with. Um, the first one is, I think the first one I actually already tackled, to rest means to sit at home and watch TV. But I want to try to say that the idea of rest, is, as, as a God-centered rest, idea, idea of rest is to include God, to remember God in it, and to live life, to appreciate life that you have, right? So it's not just sleeping, but it's something more. A couple other ideas of rest is that um, I cannot rest. there's just too much work to be done. And there's another one that I have next, is I cannot' rest. there's so much I have to need to do God's work. And so there's an idea that there's always work to be done. there's always work to be done. And again, maybe you are in a season where there's just a lot of work. Um, but I just want to challenge the fact that this can't be true for the for the entire, the entire year, right? So I just want to challenge that at a certain point that we have to say no too, right? Sometimes we have to say no to our, to our pastor. We have to say no to our manager. So say no to our friends and say, I have to have boundaries that there is a lot of work to be done, but I also need a day of rest. Um, this idea where I need to do God's work, and that's the same idea, too, that there's always going to be work done needs, done, needs to be done in the church and all this kind of stuff. But how can we actually, when we, when we rest, we actually glorify God, too, and we trust God. Um, I have a, I think there's a, um, a thought bubble I was really convicted because I personally struggle with rest. I personally struggle because I feel like, oh, if I have a free time, I want to use it for ministry. I want to use it to disciple someone or something like that. But I was really convicted that my friend called me out and said, Kevin, what you're, doing, what you're trying to say is that you don't trust God enough to work when you're resting. And that was really convicting for me. That I was thinking that I need to do more work, more do more God's work. But what I was really saying is that I don't trust God to work when I'm resting. So I just want to challenge us for those who are workaholics, for those who want to try to do work, do good work. So we trust God that he is still working during the time of rest and that God will take care of you even if you rest. And the last misconception is that we don't, we don't want to follow the Sabbath because of Jesus. It's because we have a lot of stories in the New Testament where Jesus is grappling with the Pharisees and says talks about the Sabbath and all those kind of things. Um, I just want to clarify that when Jesus is grappling about the Sabbath with the Pharisees, he's not attacking the idea of rest. He's attacking this idea where the Pharisees have made a, the law their God and says that you can't help people on the day of rest. Um, whenever we rest, I think that we can still help people. There's days where I'm walking and I'm, having a, and I'm resting and some tourist is lost. And I'm just going to ignore them if they ask me that what's directions, right? So what I want us to, to, to show that Jesus actually does take rest very seriously in these last, few, these last four slides. Very quickly, on the next slide, in Mark... Jesus shows that very in the morning, while it was so dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. There's a few texts that are like this where Jesus actually steps away from the people in order to remember God and to be able to rest um, by himself. There's another text where Jesus actually tries to give rest for his disciples. And the next one, it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done, the work that they did, and taught then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus saw the disciples who had already done the good work. And instead of trying to do more work, even though the crowd was there, Jesus said, Actually, let's take a step back. I need, I need you guys to rest too. Let's gather together and let's take a step back from the ministry work. Um, it's the same idea for the next, the next slide. Um, basically, I'm just going to summarize that. Simon is saying, Jesus, there's so many people coming to you. There's so many things that we can do. But Jesus says, no. Actually, I know there's, there's so many things that we can do here. But my calling is not just to bless the people of this one town, but I'm going to go to other towns too. And to show that Jesus also had boundaries when it comes to saying no. Um, and, and uh, yeah, just saying no, right? And the last, te- the last thing I wanted to end today, this sermon on, is this text from Hebrews Um, chapter 4, verses 10 to 11. It says, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from the work, just as God did from His. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. And so I just really like that text. I really love that text because it says, Make every effort to enter into that rest. And it it really shows that rest is not something that we just trip into. Rest is not something that's just, that's just like something that's easy. We actually do have to remember, we have to make an effort it's plan in order to really say no to a culture of work and to say that I need to spend time with God. I need to take a time of rest to, spend, um, to do the hobbies, to, do, to appreciate the life that God has given me. That's all I have for today. Um, I really hope, I, I know I, I gave a lot in this sermon. But I hope that mosaic, as we try to grapple with this this week during missional families, as we're trying to grapple with as September starts, maybe school starting for some of us, um, that we would really try to prioritize rest into figuring out how we can say no sometimes to a culture of overworking, of a workaholism, and actually rest in the gotten and rest in the rest that Jesus gives first and foremost. Let's pray together. Close